I used to preach at a local mortuary. They needed my help. Uh, it was a joy. I just got my license to preach from the Bible. So I was able to use it and get paid at the same time. It was a while ago. And I still remember this lady was crying over her husband's coffin. She couldn't let it go. She could not let him go. So many people were saying, look how much she loved her husband. But what if she turned around and said, no, you don't understand. He was my source of income. Now that he's gone, I'm going to get kicked out of his mansion, no more red convertible, no more European vacation, no more fine restaurants. You don't understand. Oh, how miserable. I can't live without those things. What if she says that? How selfish, right? In today's passage, three groups of people weep and mourn for Babylon. The ungodly economic system, as I mentioned in my previous preaching. The kings, merchants, and shipmasters cry out loud when they see the smoke of her burning. going to today's passage, just as the same groups cry over Tyre in Ezekiel 27. But they do not genuinely care for her. That's not the reason they cry. Rather, they're crying because they got selfish reasons. I have two points for this sermon, selfishness and splendor. So number one, selfishness. Verse 11 reads, And the merchants of the earth weep and mourn for her, since no one buys their cargo anymore. Verse 19, Alas, alas, for the great city where all who had ships at sea grew rich by her wealth. If you just skim through the text, people seem to care for Babylon, right? But they only care about themselves. The point that the repetitions in today's passage is making is that many people are in despair over economic loss. The only thing that they care about is money. The September 11 attacks attracted many to churches. They were coming to pray. Remember? I remember my professors and I were praying at the chapel. I was in seminary then. But did you know that there were the others? They were attracted to the World Trading Center, 
not to save those who are still stuck in the collapsed buildings, but to pick up crumbs from hard-to-reach areas. Did you know that they were looking for cash, jewelry, other expensive stuff that fell from the sky? Can you imagine? People are dying out there. Or so many people died already. But the only thing they care about is money. Why would people be so selfish like that, if you wonder? How could people do that? Verses 9 and 11. And the kings of the earth who committed sexual immorality, that is, the worship of money, and lived in luxury with her, will weep and wail over her when they see the smoke of her burning. They will stand far off in fear of her torment and say, Alas, alas, you great city, you mighty, another economic connotation, rich city, Babylon. For in a single hour, your judgment has come. In the midst of committing idolatry and living in luxury with Babylon, the politicians of the ungodly world system would weep and wail over their own economic well-being. They don't really care about Babylon. Where's my money? That's what they're basically saying. It is as if they sold their souls to their own prosperity. No wonder back in chapter 14, the smoke and burning described the final judgment on those who sold their souls to economic prosperity. We've covered that before. They follow the beast to the point that they sold themselves to their own prosperity. So how do kings react to the smoke of Babylon's burning is a spiritual thing. It's about who you really are spiritually. And one commentator calls this your characteristic reaction. How you react to Babylon's judgment displays where you belong. Whether you belong to the church or outside the church. These things, depend on, these things are dependent upon how you react to Babylon's burning. For example, how you reacted to the 2008 recession displays your identity. Did you do some soul searching and care for those who lost their houses and jobs? Or did you just worry about yourself, especially your money, your stocks, the stock market? 
And today's passage is not simply saying, stop being selfish. That's a bad thing. Especially if you're a Christian. Or stop loving money too much. Instead, it's asking, who are you? Do you commit sexual immorality with Babylon and worship money? Is that who you are? Or do you still care about more important things than your own prosperity? Is that who you are? You might want to know. Then how do you know which camp you belong to? Chapter 14 and today's passage, the smoke and burning are the allusions to Genesis 19 in chapter 14 and today's passage, where Sodom and Gomorrah were judged. Remember in Genesis 14, I mean 19, Lot and his family were saved by God. They were specifically told, Don't look back, meaning do not mourn over your economic security in Sodom and Gomorrah. You were living in her, but you are not of her. You got to make sure of that. So don't look back. But Lot's wife still look back and perished. Whereas, Lot did not turn around even though he was not perfectly righteous. Lot's wife misinterpreted the smoke and burning when she was leaving. They mean divine judgment from the Lord, right? which points to her eternal judgment. It's not just physical judgment. It's talking about the spiritual judgment of those who are of Sodom and Gomorrah, right? They were not meant to tell her that your financial security is gone. The smoke and burnings were not designed to tell her that, but she heard that somehow. She was still seeking her own financial security or how she lived in luxury with Sodom and Gomorrah. And the scary thing is that she belonged to Lot's family whom God has saved, rescued. She's not from one of those pagan families. So it is with the church in today's passage. There are those who misinterpret the smoke and and burning even inside the church. They worry too much about how they live in luxury with the ungodly economic system. They care too much about how how they appear to be successful 
in the eyes of the world. Don't get me wrong, brothers and sisters. I'm not saying that it's a sin to carry a Louis Vuitton as a Christian woman. I'm not saying that every Christian man should get rid of the Rolex. But what the passage is saying is that you should not misinterpret the smoke and burning God's judgment upon the ungodly world system which is about to come, which has begun. God has started to judge her. And they're not meant to make you worry about your selfish desire. But they are meant to point you to the impending eternal judgment over all flesh. In other words, the prophecy is designed to help you respond with repentance, not self-centeredness. You're not supposed to say say to yourself, Oh, the judgment is coming. I got to save us some money. Or what's going to happen to my money, bank account, retirement fund? What's going to happen to that? That's not how you're supposed to respond to the impending judgment. Verses 16 and 17. Alas, alas. For the great city that was clothed in fine linen, in purple and scarlet, adorned with gold, with jewels, and with pearls. For in a single hour, all this wealth has been laid waste. The expression single hour repeatedly displays selfishness, you see. Just as previous groups in verses 10 And 16 and 17 in today's passage, the sailor's concern is that such a great economic system is suddenly gone. So they will suffer the economic laws of all materialistic things. But I do not want you to overlook the fact that the wayward Israelites were also adorned with silver and gold, purple and scarlet in Ezekiel 16. They dressed like the great prostitute in Revelation 17 because they were unfaithful to their maker. So verse 16 in today's passage does not only describe those who are outside the church, but it also describes those who are inside the church, like the Israelites who dressed like the great prostitute in Ezekiel 16. And now, is there any sign of repentance in verse 16 in today's passage? Or any of the passage? Do you see a single sign of repentance? No. Not even one. No one repents. They would rather display the same self-centeredness with the politicians and CEOs who do not know Christ. There is no distinction here. So the repetitions 
display the same characteristic reaction in today's passage? Those who belong to Satan will not repent even if they are churchgoers. You're not going to repent even though you go to church because you belong to Satan. Their hearts have been so hardened that they cannot respond to the prophecy appropriately. They are so self-centered even though they are churchgoers. And it's not just the 21st century church's problem, brothers and sisters. When Adam and Eve sinned, they were so self-centered. When Eve was told, if you take and eat the forbidden fruit, you'll be like God. She just thought of herself. There were more important things. Oh, trust me, there were more important things, such as her relationship with her husband and her surroundings, the animals and the plants that God bestowed on her, and ultimately, her relationship with God. But she didn't care about all these important things but her. She wanted the beauty that the fruit displayed, and she selfishly desired the ultimate beauty, being like God, objectively, forgetting that she's already like God, created in His image. How ironic. Of course, Adam was selfish in listening to Eve and pointing fingers at her when he got caught sinning against God. Selfishness. At any rate, the church has been battling with the same self-centeredness in the wilderness throughout the times of judges and kings, and she's still struggling with the same fallen condition. So even those who belong to the church are being deceived. They don't know what's more important. My spouse, the resources that God has put upon my plate, and ultimately my relationship with God, they forget about these things. Let's say that I got into a car accident, and I wake up at the hospital because of too much morphine, I don't feel my body yet, but my doctor would say, sorry, Mr. Kim, we had to do what we had to do. Your your arm's been amputated. Well, what if I go, oh, my Omega, oh, my Rolex. That means I need help, right? I need someone who could tell me your arm 
your arm is more important than the Rolex. Wake up! They will probably get a psychiatrist who will help me understand better without calling me stupid. But that's stupid if I worry more about my watch than my arm. Isn't my arm more important than my materialistic blessing? Or isn't my life more important than one of the limbs? So they made a decision to get rid of it and save my life? I need someone who could change my value system. So it is with your spiritual life, brothers and sisters. Because you share the same fallen condition with Adam and Eve, Christ just came to help because you need help. So point number two is splendor. Splendor for this sermon. Verse 14 reads, The fruit for which your soul longed, Babylon's glory instead of God's glory. You longed for Babylon's glory, has gone from you, and all your delicacies and your splendors are lost to you, never to be found again. The word splendors here is lampros in Greek. The same word was used in chapter 22 in the same book to describe the glory of God, which is Christ himself. What does this mean? It means you used to seek your own glory just as the kings, merchants, and sailors, but the very glory of God came and displayed His glory at the cross. So you know that your eternal life is more important than your money. Christ came because your eternal life is Christ himself. And he wanted to display that at the cross in his splendor. Lapras. Chapter 22, verse 16, let me show you. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright Lampros morning star. Christ came as the ultimate splendor of God. So Christ sent his angel to prophesy to those who belong to the church. And if you truly belong to the church, you will receive Christ, the true splendor of God. And as a result, what the ungodly world system offers around you just fade away. And you respond to the prophecy appropriately with fear and trembling as if you stand in awe of God 
24-7. How come? Because Christ would help you see what's more important than your own prosperity by opening your eyes up. He's going to display the glory of God by coming as the splendor over and over again and open up your eyes so you see Christ is more important than my prosperity. Yes, I need money. I need resources in this life. I got to save up some money for my retirement. Yes, I don't deny that, but Christ is more important. Yes, I should be able to provide for my family. And yes, I got to be wise when I invest in this thing or that thing. But Christ is more important and He's the provider. He does that to you at the cross. He helps you see what's more important to you than anything. That is Christ Himself. So, even if you close your eyes and pray, even if you open up your eyes and read the word and talk to your brothers and sisters, even if you go to work and, and go to school and study and do what you have to do, you get lampros, lampros, lampros over and over again. The splendor of Jesus would cover you and you cannot run away from that because you don't want to. That's the most important thing to you. And what the ungodly world system teaches you just fade away. What does that look like? Practically speaking, you may wonder, what does it practically, practically mean to see the glory of Christ in, respond, in response to the prophecy? The ungodly world system will be judged. It's the impending judgment. And how do you respond to that? As a child of Jesus who sees the splendor clearly. What does that look like? You may wonder. Take a look at verse 16. Alas, alas for the great city that was clothed in fine linen, in purple and scarlet, adorned with gold, with jewels, and with pearls. As mentioned, the wayward Israelites adorned themselves in Ezekiel 16, just like the great prostitute in chapter 17. But half the adornment is also an allusion to Exodus 28, where the high priest's garment is being described. What does that imply? So you see both Ezekiel 16 and Exodus 28 in today's passage. What does that imply? It implies that you are lovable in the eyes of God. It doesn't simply mean that you're not going to die when you stand before God just like the high priest. But it means you are being adorned 
as the bride of Christ. That is the church in chapter 21. Let me show you. Chapter 21, verse 2, which reads, And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God and prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Adorned for her husband. Just like the high priest in Exodus 28. If you keep reading the rest of the chapter, it reads, you are being adorned with the glory of God, the very presence of Christ. In verse 11, that's Lampros. Splendor. So you're clothed in majesty, the majesty of Christ in the eyes of the Father. So what does it look like? What does it practically mean to see the glory of Christ to the point that you respond to the impending judgment biblically? What does that look like? You have the very presence of Christ in you. The splendor of Jesus is in you. You're spiritually adorned with the characteristics of the priest. You're adorned with the beauty of the ultimate high priest. So in the eyes of the Father, you are beautiful because you have the splendor of the sun. No more condemnation, even if you stand before God the Father right now, even if you're not technically complete yet, perfect yet, no more condemnation. Because of Lampros in you. I go to Wegmans pretty often. And Robert B. Wegman, the founder of Wegmans, said that he learned how to be the most important thing, or he learned how um, the most important thing in this life was taught to him, which happened in elementary school. By the sisters of mercy. He clearly said that I learned this most important thing in life back in elementary. Quote, how do you get to heaven? Never think of yourself. Always care about others. You might see that if you go to Wegmans. When you try to go upstairs to get some food, it's there. Mr. Wegman's picture and what he says. Never think of yourself. Always care about others. Now, you should not just stop there. You got you to elaborate. 
how do you stop being selfish and always care about others? Only as you have the very splendor of Christ in you. Christ must enable you to do what he did at the cross. He humbled himself to the point of death. The person of Christ is the only antidote to your selfishness. So in the midst of being like Christ, you will know how to put others first instead of being me-centered. Brothers and sisters, this world tells you to be sorry about your paycheck, sorry about the size of your house, the kind of car you drive, what brand you wear, how early you retire and start traveling the world, and, and there's a huge surge of workism that you want to be identified with, what kind of job you have, what you do for a living, that's you, which is a lie. You're being encouraged to mourn over these things 24-7. It must be your motivation to be successful as well. They want you to be sorry about yourself, that you are motivated to be someone else. You must know what you want and live for that desire. Then you're a hero. Why? Because the kings, the merchants, and the shipmasters live for themselves. They continue to spread that. But if you follow their footstep, you are the bride of Satan. Satan is all about himself, even if he's not the greatest being. He's not the greatest good. He's not objectively beautiful. He is not objectively glorious. But brothers and sisters, King Jesus is the most beautiful being in the, in the entire universe. He is the greatest good. In this season of Advent, Brothers and sisters, open up your eyes and see Jesus' splendor. Meditate on his beauty. Then he will transform you into his bride who desires the glory of Christ instead of your own glory. This is the word of Jesus, all God's people said. Spirit of God, let's pray.